Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find the written version of the roundup that has links to all our stories. Let's go to our first one, Report Highlights Southern LGBT Youth. Southern Equality published new research on the experiences of LGBT youth in the South. Among the findings were that LGBT youth scored their parents and caregivers an average of about 56 out of 100 for supporting their sexual orientation and 52 out of 100 for supporting their gender identity. Though I think an important caveat here is that looking just at transgender youth, um, those youth scored their parents worse at supporting their gender identity with just um, 44 out of 100 rating. Less than 1 in 20 LGBT youth said that they uh, received resources or support with respect to their identity from a faith leader. Um, It was just under 5% who said that, versus 1 in 3 who said that they were explicitly denied support by such individuals, and the others in the middle presumably didn't receive um, rejection, but also didn't receive support. The youth received slightly more support from schools, which was good, um, you know, from from teachers and other adults in the school building. However, um, most students had experienced uh, bullying related to their gender identity or sexual orientation, notwithstanding that support that they received. So definitely a lot of work to be done. A really interesting report, and I think especially interesting for looking into family dynamics, because that's something that a lot of the research on LGBT youth, for example, from the YRBS that, that takes place in the States does not include these questions um, in detail about parental support and acceptance. So definitely interesting research to check out. Next up, LGBT youth with military parents face disparities. So in a similar vein to our last story, the Trevor Project published a report on LGBT youth with one or two parents in the military, which was true of 5% of all LGBT youth. Uh, There was especially a large number of LGBT youth um, with a military parent among those who lived in the South or who identified as Native American, Indigenous, Black, or multiracial. So definitely here we have a strong, um, you know, connection between um, minority racial identity, um, youth who live in the South, who as in our last story we just pointed out, face some disparities and challenges, and those who have a parent in the military. Now this becomes important because LGBT youth who did have a parent in the military were more likely to experience anxiety and depression than their LGBT peers who didn't have a parent in the military. They were also more likely to have considered or attempted suicide. And all of these problems were especially pronounced for LGBT youth who had a parent in the military who they said, um, you know, didn't do a great job of supporting them with respect to their LGBT identity. So again, our our connection here between that level of family support and mental health. And really, I think a, a sign that we need more support for LGBT youth who have a parent in the military and for those parents who are in the military to know how to support their youth. Now our next story, Health Issues Facing LGBT Swedes. The Lancet published a report of LGBT people in Sweden using a large public health data set, which found that being a sexual or gender minority was associated with worse health, including mental health, compared to non-LGBT folks. 
They also found that LGBT refugees had higher levels of suicide, uh, suicidal ideation than did other groups, and that transgender refugees in particular had higher odds of being exposed to physical violence. The study is interesting because, um, you know, a lot of large public health data sets do not include sexual orientation and gender identity questions. So a lot of times in, in large-scale research like this that, you know, really covers um, an entire population, we can't look into LGBT health. So this study is kind of, um, you know, an exception to that rule, um, and therefore, you know, for me at least makes it particularly interesting. Next up, providers make the difference on HPV vaccination. The Journal of Racial and Ethnic Health Disparities published a study examining vaccination for HPV amongst young sexual minority men in the Philadelphia area. They found that having a healthcare provider who recommended the HPV vaccine was a huge factor in the likelihood that someone had received one, highlighting the importance of providers talking with sexual minority male patients about their risks for HPV and the benefits of the vaccine. Factors such as having a larger number of sexual partners and having had condomless sex in the past six months, both of which would increase the risk for HPV infection, which can cause cancer were associated with lower rather than higher odds of having getting vaccinated, which is definitely concerning. Now our next story, Gender Diverse Camp Welcomes Youth. The New York Times reported on Camp Indigo Point, a new program in Illinois for transgender and gender diverse youth. The camp recently welcomed almost 100 youth from 26 states as it celebrated its first year as a quote-unquote haven for gender minority youth who have been subjected to anti-transgender laws and policies in many states over the past few years. The camp was a place where youth were free to talk about their identities and challenges, as well as to enjoy facilities and activities that would often, and sometimes by law, be divided along a gender binary that did not apply to them. And I think it's nice that the article highlights, you know, a lot of what they want to do is just to hang out and, and be kids and enjoy camp and complain about a lot of the same stuff that I used to complain about at camp, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to, like mosquitoes and heat and lack of AC and walking far and all of that. So kind of a nice story. And in our last piece of the week, states race to vaccinate against monkeypox. The state reported that South Carolina expanded and simplified eligibility for monkeypox vaccines um, to include sexual minority men and all gender minorities who have sex with men, plus anyone who takes PrEP and anyone who has been exposed to a positive confirmed case of monkeypox. Previously, those wanting the vaccine had to share more details about their sexual activities and history, which, as you can imagine, is not pleasant for the person um, seeking the vaccine and is probably not too clear for the person administering the vaccine either. Across the country in Arizona, the Phoenix New Times reported on Maricona County's vaccine efforts, um, which are aimed at sexual minority men and some trans women, and were hosted at an LGBT health clinic, kicking off what is going to be a series there. Area LGBT organizations have been working to spread the word on elevated risk facing LGBT folks and their partners, while not wanting the outbreak to be seen as LGBT exclusive, which is an issue that you know we've certainly covered here uh, on the podcast in previous editions. Well, that wraps up another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to read a written version of the Roundup um, that has links to all of the stories that we've just discussed. And I hope you will tune in next week for the next edition of our podcast.